You're listening to And the Plot Thickens, an Authors on the Air Radio Network podcast. Join your host, suspense and horror writer Jeff Crawford, as he explores the art of creating tension and mood with authors from a wide variety of genres. Find out more about Jeff and his books at authorjeffcrawford.com. And now, meet today's author guest. Welcome to And the Plot Thickens, part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Jeff Crawford, and my producer is Carrie Schaefer. To say that today's my guest today is accomplished would be the acme of understatements. Multiple award-winning author in several genres. Consultant, blogger, podcaster, physician. I could go on. Welcome to the show, D.P. Lyle. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate being here. Oh, it's, it's a treat. And I've, uh, I've looked forward to this ever since you landed on the calendar. This is, this is a, this is a good, this is a good day. I appreciate that. Me too. <laughs> uh, if you know anything about this show, you'll know that we do a little dissecting of what it ta- takes to write and build suspense in a story. And, um, you get, you get to get a question first off that most people that I talk to don't have. And that is, um, I want you to weigh in on this a little bit. Um, you've not only written a long list of novels, you've also worked with television, right? Is there a different type of satisfaction when you know you've kept someone on the edge of their seat throughout a book because of what you've written and the imagery you've built compared to the imagery that's created with the the video and visual effects um well basically i'm a very visual person so i think visually and when i am writing i visualize the scene i visualize what's going on it's uh, maybe it comes from growing up on television you know lucy and gleason and all that stuff when i was a young kid because i'm an old guy and uh and I remember all that, the, the golden age of television and watched all those shows. So I grew up with TV and I grew up with sitcoms and I grew up with, uh, with, with dramas, you know, Playhouse 90 and all that stuff. I grew up with all of that. And, uh, and so it was a visual medium. So when I write, I see, I see what's going on. And so they're kind of, they, there's a lot of overlap there. Now, when I've worked on the TV shows, it has nothing to do with production. In fact, I don't want to get involved in that. That's tedious and boring and time wasting. And I'm not big on wasting time. You know, they spend four hours getting a minute's worth of screen time. Uh, I can't do that. I'd put a gun to my head and that'd be the end of it. But uh, I work with the writers. And so uh, the writers are the ones that are the visionaries and they're the ones that see what's going on. And they're the ones that when they write a screenplay, they not only get the dialogue, they get the stage direction, so to speak, what's happening and all that. Uh, that's all part of a a screenplay if you've ever read one. So they have to visualize the scene, but boy, they are very compact. It's almost like writing a short story. They are very compact in the amount of words and space they can use to get across the story they're trying to tell. Whereas in novels, you know, it can be from 60,000 to 160,000. I mean, you you got a lot of leeway there. 
mm-hmm. you're asking me which one I like the best, I mean, I, I love story consulting. I love consulting with authors and helping them work out their plots, get their characters, get the science right, all this. I love that stuff because it's a it's an intellectual puzzle. But by far, I enjoy the novel writing so much more because I have complete control. Well, except when my characters say no, uh, but I have complete control. It's my vision. I have to put it on paper. That's the job. Uh, And that's getting all those balls in the air that make the story work. And, you know, you drop one of the balls and the story creaks. You drop a couple of them and it crashes and burns. So uh, it's it's work. It is. Um. After all of the, okay, after all of the novels, this this isn't on yeah. my to to ask list, but you brought this up. After all of the novels, do you is the juggling? And there's a lot of juggling yeah. when you're when you're writing a novel. I know. Yeah. Uh, is that still? Because to me, it was fun when I first yeah. started that. Yeah. Trying to figure out how yeah. to keep all the ends from blowing away or is it now just, or is it just work or is it still fun for you? Oh no, it's still fun. And, uh, y- you know, it, it's amazing. I, I, like I'm this morning, I'm working on my 24th, 25th. I can't remember, uh, uh book and uh, probably my 20th novel, uh, close to that. Um, and it's the same thing as the first one. Except the first one took two and a half years and was awful and was way overwritten and way too much stuff. But after a while, uh, you start learning how to do it, but you still grind over it. And I always find, and it's interesting today, when I closed up my writing program, I was at just under 50,000 words on the book that I'm working for, which is like for a year from May. (laughs) So, so, uh, Always around that 50,000 thing is when the quasi panic sets in like, this is stupid. This isn't working. Right. And, and, and I got a few more scenes I'm going to write maybe five or six. So I'll get up around 60,000 and then I'll go back to the beginning before I finish. I always leave the ending out there and then I'll go back to the beginning and I will start going back through it again. And again, it's not heavy rewriting, but it's heavy storytelling. It's getting all the ducks in a row, making sure there's not contradictions, moving around the things you got to move around and get right back. And that only takes a two or three weeks to do because the story's mm-hmm. already pretty much written. And then from there I am on the downhill slide and I can finish the story. So that's kind of my process, but it's interesting that always at about the midpoint or a little thereafter, it's like, you don't know what you're doing and this is crazy and this is stupid and it's not going to work. I feel that less and less and less, but I made a change maybe 10 years ago when I quit outlining as far as outlining is concerned, because I would spend a lot of time outlining and I would end up with these outlines where there was a, a paragraph or two written about each scene. And I would find that when I got about two thirds of the way through the outline i knew the story i had the story figured out and i was bored with it and so now to go back and start writing it is a little more work now i started with the first jake longley book uh, called deep six and i just had one scene in mind that's it i knew i knew kind of who jake was i knew he was going to have a dad he had conflicts with and i knew he was going to have a sidekick named pancake who was a big guy that's all i knew I didn't really know where the story was going, what the story was going to really be about, who was going to live, who was going to die, who the bad guys were. I said, just write the damn scene, see what happens. So I wrote it and guess what? The next one and the next one and the next one. And then, and pretty soon I'm a dozen scenes or, 
you know, 10,000 words into the, into the story. And it's like, huh, I like this. And I've written that way from now on. Now I use Scrivener. I, I don't know if you're familiar with Scrivener, the writing program. Uh, and I like it because it organizes things so well. That's what I use it for. So I get all my scenes over here, really they're chapters because each, each amount of scenes, a chapter. And uh, so I will know the next five or six scenes and I'll make little notes, you know, that is like you can do in Scrivener, but that's not really a full outline. It's just, it, I thought of this, this has to go in there. So I make a little note, bang. Now it's got a place and I may move that place around. So I don't really outline. I just start with the scene and I take off and see what happens. And I'm going to tell you, it's rejuvenated everything because it makes writing so much more fun. Oh yeah. But you have to get to a certain level, I think, to have the confidence to do that. I would have never done this the first 10 years I was writing. I'd have been terrified. <laughs> See, I've, I've never, I wouldn't know how to even start an outline. I've never written yep. one. Yep. Uh, so, you know, but I, I, I agree completely. There's a point somewhere in a book where I think everybody does a freak out. Yeah. You know, yeah. and they say, they say, I don't know where to go. Yeah, I don't know mess. what this is going to yeah. do. And, and I think there comes a time and it's almost braggadocious to say this. Uh, and it would be for any writer to say this, but there comes a time when you, when you can say, okay, I'm not going to worry about it. And that comes right. from confident in yourself exactly. because of the institutional memory you've got for what exactly. you've doing. Exactly. Okay. When I get there tomorrow morning, I'll figure it out. Yeah. I'll figure it out. Right. Right. And, uh, that's a, it's, you know, it took me a long time to get to yep. that point yep. where me I too. could, I could say, don't panic. You know, I, you know, Doug Adams, he can say, don't, pa don't panic all you want. You're I was right. going to exactly. panic. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you do that. You've been there. And, you know, after so many books, you look and say, okay, you idiot, you've been here before you do this every time. Just shut up. Go back to the beginning. You got 50,000 words written. So you're not editing a blank page. Go back right. to the beginning and start going back through the story because now you know the plot and now you know all the characters involved and you'll change things along the way because now you know more. And so now when you get back to where the blank page appears, you're on the, you're on a roll. You're running. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. Now this is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen because it's rolling now. And that's what I mean by I go 50, 60,000 words. I stop there because now I'm on the downhill slide. And right. I go back to the beginning because there's a lot of stuff to clean up. Sometimes, you know, I mean, I remember rewriting a book once and I get to like, uh, you know, chapter 25 and this person, Martha appears. And I'm thinking, who the hell is Martha? <laughs> and then I realized it was, a, her name was actually Denise and I just changed it. And because Martha fit better. And so now I went back and changed all the Denise's to Martha's yeah. because I knew her then. I knew her then. And so somehow in my writing, because I may take a week off and then I come back. Now she became Martha, but I didn't go back and change because I didn't know I had to. And then I started reading. I said, who the hell is this? You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, sure. You but know, it you, all the time. You, you, <laughs> yeah, it does. You, you're talking about, you, you look at that blank page and you say, what am I going to do? And you go back and you reread and you come back to the blank page and say, this is where you bring up the red dress again. Right. Now's where it starts making sense. Right. It didn't in chapter 13. It does now. So yeah, I, I agree completely. And I often, when I finish a chapter scene, I know what the next scene is and I'm getting ready to shut down for the day. 
I will go over to that page, you know, in Scrivener, my next page, and I will write. It may only be 50 words. It may be 300 words, but I will write the beginning of that next scene. I won't worry too much about it. I'll just get stuff on that because now I know when the next day, when I go back to sit down and write and I open that up, the scene's already started. Sure. I may change it, but it's already started. And so right. I'm not, I'm not looking at a blank page. I'm already rolling. That's an old Hemingway trick. Hemingway would sometimes stop in the middle of the sentence and say, because I didn't want to come back and face a, a blank page, which, you know, is the reason he ultimately swallowed a shotgun. He couldn't face the blank <laughs> page anymore. He couldn't write that. What is he said? That one perfect sentence, you know, right. that's what he searched his whole life for. He wrote a lot of perfect sentences, actually. <laughs> he really did. He really did. Um, do you have a preferred tool for ratcheting up the tension for a reader? Some writers let the characters do all the heavy lifting. Yeah. Some um, use environments. Some use histories within the story, and all of those are good. But do you have a do you have a preference? No, I, I think they're all good, and you got to incorporate all of them. It, it, again, it goes by feel. What what does it feel like when you get to that point? And you get to that scene. But I think almost anything that in a story that means a lot that creates emotion and empathy and suspense and terror and all that stuff. It has to be filtered through the character, one of the characters. So you have point of view, like my, uh, my, uh, Kane Harper series. Uh, this is the latest one, Tally man that just came out uh, a couple of months ago. That one I write in multiple third person because I don't want to be that close to Kane and Harper the the quasi brother and sister combo i want to them to have their own individual things but cultured which is the next jake longley book that's coming out next may with jake i write him in first person and everybody else in third uh i did the same thing my sam cody series was all multiple third and my dub walker series dub was in first person everybody else was in third it's an old james patterson trick but uh because I identify, I want to identify more closely with Jake because it's comedic, it's humorous. I want to be in his head a little more and a little closer. So that's why I'm first person. But um, you have to filter what's going on through a character. And, and then it means something. If it right. means something to them, then it will mean something to the reader. If you're just telling the story with a lot of narrative, and a lot of authors do that, and they do it very, very well. I wish I could do better narrative, but I can't. I do a lot. Mine are very dialogue heavy because I like interaction between characters. I want what's said, what's thought, what's done to drive the story. Okay. Gotcha. Um, let's say you're out having a nice dinner, all right, or you're sitting backed up in traffic. Mm -hmm. or you're buying a glass of lemonade from a neighborhood front yard stand. Um, and an idea for a new book hits you. What do you do next? Keep doing what I'm doing. You know, if it's, if it's got legs, I won't forget it. And in fact, I do that all the time. And, and I, if people say where your ideas come from, I say from everywhere and how many ideas I got 50 right now, I wish I could get to. Uh, the problem is that once you have an idea of a story, you got to think about it for a while. You got to let it meditate, you know, and regurgitate and all that stuff and chew your cut on it for a while. And then, you know, okay, this is something, number one, that would be fun. 
Number two, it would be interesting. And number three, it's got long enough legs to carry a novel. And that's as simple as that. And that takes time to figure out. You Great ideas come up all the time. But if they don't have legs, you know, they're just they're just ground fog. And um, so I, I, I don't worry about that. I've, I mean, I've got ideas for another half a dozen books that I'm trying to get to. And I'll, I'm not going to get to them for a while because I got... The next Cain uh, Harper books already started. I'm, I'm, uh, like I said, fifty thousand words into the next Jake book that doesn't even come out till May, and so, um, and it'll, so it'll be a year from May. But you know, you get these ideas, you get these stories, and you go with them. And I've actually started writing novels and gotten forty thousand words into them, but another idea kept intruding, and so I said I put that aside and I go write this one, and then I go back to that one, and that's kind of what happened here. I'd started the next. Kane Harper book and I'm a good back 25,000 words into it but I, then I said okay I signed a two book contract with Ocean View after Culture is the next one I said let's just go ahead and do that because I'm, I'm I just went through all the final edits on that and I'm in a Jake frame of mind so let's go there <laughs> and so I started and you know and now two months later I'm 50,000 words into it but uh it uh you just you know whatever feels right whatever feels okay right. okay um okay let's let's follow along sort of along that same vein with the book that you've just had the idea about or mm -hmm. one that you've already begun right it's a book that you're excited about and one that, uh where you want to keep the reader really wound up throughout the entire book what are you doing differently now than you did during when you wrote and you're writing your first book uh, telling less. Uh, I mean, as far as uh, less is more. Uh, I think it. Uh, you, you tend to overwrite. You tend. You tend to not trust the reader, and you tend. You tend to try to overexplain, and you tend to try to overdescribe. One of the, one of the things that uh, the task I give students when I teach writing, is I said if you want to learn how to do um, setting. And remember, setting is a character, and it's always a very important character. It, it informs everything that's going to go on in the scene, in the book, in the story, and whatever. Go to some place you've never been before. If I go to 10 different places you've never been before, and walk in there and write down the first five things that hit you, and then write down the next five things that, and leave. And do that for about 10 different places and go back and look at it. What was that you, what was it that you noticed that made this place memorable? Was it a sound? Was it a smell? Was it a visual? Was it a bit of dialogue? Was it a person? What was it when you walked into this place that said, huh, that you noticed? And I said, those are the things you're going to build your, your, your description from, because remember, it's not a, a description of the place. You know, you can, you can describe the place 20 ways from Sunday and they won't feel it. But if you give them those, what I call the telling details, that's all you really need to do. I walked into a bar to the sound of clacking pool balls, glowing neon, and beer. And I saw who I was looking for leaning on the bar. Do you need to say anything else? Do you really need to describe anything else? How long was the bar? Who cares? How many stools were at the bar? Who cares? What was the bartender wearing? Who cares? Unless it's important. But just go on. And that's it. Less is more. And I was so afraid that readers wouldn't get the visual, wouldn't get the feel, wouldn't get the thing that overrode everything. 
And I think that's the key. And I, I always tell readers, uh, writers, that if you want to learn to write clean, succinct, fantastic stories, read Elmore Leonard and read him over and over and over again. Read the same book over and over again <laughs> because you will learn something every time about how to tell a clean story. He doesn't waste words. He doesn't waste time. No, no, no. I agree. I'm a huge Elmore Leonard fan. Yep, massive. Huge. Massive. Um, I I was the same way about Robert D. Parker. Yep, yep. I read I, a lot I, I of thought, Parker. You know, everything was short and choppy. Yeah, and the and the, was, the banter backwards and forth. I use that a lot in the Jake series because Jake and Nicole get into those back and forths. And people are asking, "How did you come up with that dynamic between those people?" And I said, "Tracy and Hepburn." I there grew you up go, with Tracy and Hepburn. And then Sam and Diane and Cheers. Uh-huh. You know? And those are great uh, examples. Exactly. Bogey and, and McCall. I mean, the way that they had banter backwards, but Tracy and Hepburn are probably, and I like that dynamic where she's actually smarter than him. And so the dialogue, they're on an equal basis. And I tell everybody, if you want to do that, watch Adam's rib where they're both attorneys and on the opposite sides of the case, you will laugh out loud, but the dialogue, the punches backwards and forth, you know, the little jabs backwards and forth. I love that kind of humor. And, uh, you know, Lucy and Ricky. Yeah. It's been around forever. Uh, Ralph and Alice. I mean, it's been around forever and, uh, and that works. And so I like that dynamic. You know, I always got the same kind of feel that you're talking about from um, Woodrow Call and Augustus McRae and Lonesome yeah. Dove. Right. Sure. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. I got the same sort of, mm -hmm. you knew there was a, you know, there was a, a, a bond there, but they couldn't wait to go at each other. Exactly. And it was all in just little jabs. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that creates tension and it creates uh, interest. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah it does. Well, here's one. This anybody's watched this show more than twice, they know I asked this this one question of everybody. Same question. Um and and it's the same question and every answer is different. And I, and I love that. Which is harder or more demanding for the reader to deal with? Is it the fear of the known or the fear of the unknown? Uh, it's probably the fear of the unknown because people, you know, you're the, the boogeyman's under the bed, you know, you don't know what the boogeyman looks like and your imagination uh, is a whole lot more than reality. You know, if you see a bear coming at you, that's one thing. If you see something coming at you, but you're not sure what it is, that's another animal. That's a whole nother level of fear. Um, and it's the unknown. And if you think about it, that's what makes thrillers thrilling. It's what I call superior knowledge, the difference between a mystery and a thriller. And a mystery that you're, you're peeling back the layers of a crime and trying to get to the solution of the problem. And that's fine. And that makes first person narration perfect for detective stories. Okay. But for mm -hmm. thrill, for thrillers, the reader needs superior knowledge. The reader needs to know things that the protagonist doesn't know. That's the thrill. Don't go in that room. I know what's in there. Don't go that way. Don't make that decision. You idiot. Don't go talk to him. You know, he's got nine henchmen waiting for you, you know, go do something else. But you only know that if you know that if the, and that's the problem writing a pure thriller in first person, 
can be done, but it's treacherous. There's a lot of, of uh, uh, swamp along the way because if you let the reader know something the protagonist doesn't know, that's got to be handled very delicately because otherwise, if you say, why doesn't, why didn't she see this? I see this clearly. Why are they walking into this situation? An idiot. You're an idiot. I, I, I don't like you anymore. Yeah, and that's the danger of that. So that's why third multiple third person for thrillers are, are phenomenal. And if you marry the two, you can have the first person and the multiple third narrative going at the same time. But that's it. It's the knowledge that the protagonist is walking and does not know what's what's coming next. There's that they know something's going on, but they're not sure what it is. So that's why you don't, you know, you don't go into dark rooms and you damn sure don't open a crypt. I mean, my <laughs> God. It's close for a reason. And never go in the basement. You know? No, no, no. no <laughs> Ask Joni no. Foster. You know? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Silence of the Don't go yeah. in there. <laughs> well, going on the TV thing, you know, you never wear the red shirt if you're on the Enterprise yeah, yeah, either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody breaks <laughs> in the house and they always get like a steak knife and start wandering around the house. The front door is there. Get out in the street and start screaming. <laughs> no, they don't. Yeah. Do <laughs> or if you're going to go in the basement, at least turn the lights the... on. Yeah, turn exactly, the light on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, when you finish writing a book, do you make sure that all of the ends are accounted for and tied? I hope so. Or do you, or do you leave the, now, wait a minute, here's part two of that. Or do you leave the reader to draw certain conclusions for themselves? A little bit of both. Uh, my Sam Cody books, there's three of those. They all have a little bit of woo woo in them. There's a little bit of, hmm, you know, is this more of a horror movie and less of a crime fiction because Sam's a tough cop and it's a crime and she's solving the crime, but there's undercurrences that there may be something supernatural going on always in her stories. And so I don't answer those questions in the end. I leave that to the reader, but for the most part, I try to at least tie up most of everything because I think the reader expects that. Uh, I don't think you have to, I think you have to tie up the major issues, but little nagging things, that's fine. Let them nag, you know, <laughs> it, uh, it, that kind of leaves you with a question like, well, maybe they'll answer this in another book, you know, that's yeah, yeah. okay. Um, where is the line between dragging a story out for the sake of word count and yeah. really building the tension to make an enjoyable reading experience for the reader? Elmore Leonard. (laughs) It always goes back to that. I I always think about that. Um, Yeah. And, and, and I don't worry about word count at at the end of the day, it'll be what it is. I know every time I'm writing and I've got all the scenes written that I've had in my head, you know, 25 of them, and it's only like 30,000 words that I'm thinking I've just about run out of things. You know, this story is moving toward the end. I mean, they said, but I got this chapter and this chapter and this chapter still to go. And then you start writing and oh, well, I should do that. And then the next thing you know, you're at 60,000 words and you aren't even close to the end of the story. And it's, it'll all work out. It'll all work out. And, uh, but don't, don't pad things. Keep right. it clean. Keep it as clean as you can. Make each chapter in and of itself useful. Elmore Leonard, you know, famously said, uh, he only thing he kept on his computer was uh, what is the purpose of this chapter? What is the purpose of this scene? And from whose point of view should it be told? And I think that's 
brilliant. He said a lot of brilliant things, but that's one of them. And wh why is this, why is this scene here? What's it doing for the overall story? And so that's why you often put your premise up there. What if, you know, that thing, so that you never lose sight of the through line of the story. And, and that's it. Where are we trying to get to? What issue are we trying to fix? Don't lose sight of that and don't get sidetracked on other things. Right. Don't let a subplot take over the story. If you do, then you got a different story and maybe you should start it, you know, save that and write another book about it. But, uh, uh, and you know, that can happen. The subplot yeah. can take over. It can, and it, 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 it can catch you by surprise too. Yep. 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 You know, the writer, it, I know it can, um, before we run completely out of time, I know you have a fairly recent release and I know that because it's sitting on my coffee table <laughs> about two books away from me, jumping into it Good. called tally man. Yeah. Tell everyone where they can find it and find you. And I know well, you're everywhere. Yeah. But well, you can, the best place is to go to my website and that's dplylmd.com d-p-l-y-l-e-m-d.com and there you can see all the books and you can connect to my blog and my podcast and the old radio show i used to have uh and, and all that stuff and you can you know send me questions you can do all kinds of stuff through there so everything connects through that and you can find you can find links to my twitter and facebook and linkedin and all those things i wouldn't be on if it wasn't good good for the writing business and you need to do it but uh I just delete all the political stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been listening to a great conversation with DP Lyle and, and, and Doug, I do hope that you'll come back so that we can continue this. Anytime you want, I'll be happy to. It's been a thrill. No it has been intended. a genuine pleasure. <laughs> it's been a genuine pleasure here. Folks find these books. You won't be disappointed. I guarantee you. I don't guarantee many things, but I guarantee you that. <laughs> Thank you. This has been And the Plot Thickens. I'm Jeff Crawford. If you want to find any or all of the books that I've written, they're all available through Amazon. Look me up on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and on the And the Plot Thickens Facebook page. Read a book, then tell everyone that you read it. Reviews do matter. Join us next time for another interesting discussion with another fascinating author. And AM, keep fighting and scratching, brother. We're pulling for you every day. I hope y'all have a great week. Thanks a lot, Doug. Thank you very much. Really enjoyed it. 